I don't ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans for a Sports Network production. Uh, we're back after a bit of a summer hiatus. Uh, I'm Steve Haller, as always. Joining me, as always, Christian Guzman and Andy Pregler. If anyone's seeing this, you're watching us on StreamYard, which is a new concept. So if there's any hiccups and anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, let us know. Uh, but here we are, and we're back in action. Surely, you know, sure, this, this is... will allow us to smoothly transition into things, right? You know, nothing big happening over the summer, right? Right. Yeah. There's there's not been any news, so you know it's been 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 nice and simple and nice and easy, and nothing nothing warning klaxons blaring everywhere, right, Andy? Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, that we're in a new world order where, in order to promote this, I need to now post this Twitch link on five different Twitter copycats. And not sure which one is going to get the most views. In so our, our brave new shitty world. <laughs> well, then there's the one, there's the one, the OG that doesn't work slash locks me out of my account fifty percent of the time. There's the new copycat that has zero engagement unless you're a dog influencer or a comedian pretending to work for uh, the shitty overlords. Uh, and then you have the variety of invite only ones that I'm pretty sure none of our user base is on. But if you are, follow me on Blue Sky because I'm a cool kid now. Oh, anyway, oh, well, congratulations, Blue Sky. Yeah, uh, we're going to be farming Andy cool. for Blue Sky invites now. <laughs> and me, my friend, and me. Oh, you yeah, are also. Like I just got in, so. <laughs> well, I'm going to be asking both of you for a Blue Sky invite as soon as you get one. You're you're oh. You're on the say, list. I've, I was gonna say I think I've used my uh, my my thing like once maybe uh, Blue Sky once because it's no app. Anyways, not here to talk about social media accounts. We are here to talk about a social media movement question mark campaign. I think is probably the better way of using it. Uh, we are of course talking about LaQuint Allen, who the last time that you heard from us, there was an emergency pod about his suspension that was a direct result of what we now know was an altercation that took place uh, at Syracuse University between Allen and another member of the community that resulted in Allen being issued a multi-semester suspension. That multi-semester suspension was challenged by Allen and has since been rescinded by SU or the punishment's been modified. It's unclear what the actual course of action that Syracuse has taken. All we know is that Allen is no longer suspended for the football season. Allen is now planning on playing for Syracuse this upcoming football season. Um, That's a lot of word vomit to say Syracuse likes to keep things private, private. And we have to speculate and guess and use our good friends who are traditional big J journalists in order to figure things out. Um, Guys, I think my read on the situation is probably similar to your read, which was this was typical Syracuse admin fuckery that we're all used to experiencing, whether it was us specifically or seeing other people that we know experience because this has been a constant about Syracuse for since I've been there. Um, But it was very weird to see this play out so publicly when we knew that 
this was going to get resolved at some point in time. Also, you're saying that the uh, private school likes to keep private matters private. <laughs> that, that's that's probably the most frustrating part about all of this is because the ultimate re resolution of this case was it was a settlement that was reached between Allen and um, and the university. We're probably never going to know, or at least for a good amount of years, we're never going to know what exactly was talked about in terms of what the exact settlement is. All we know is that the university has come out and publicly said that Allen will be able to return to the team in mid-August. So he'll miss, he'll miss at least the first two weeks of uh, of uh, summer or preseason practice, which is an issue or non-issue that we can get to uh, in a little bit. But and like Andy said, the big takeaway from this is that because a settlement was reached, it feels like that from an administrative level, both on the university side and on the athletics side, something was missed. Because the initial thought when all of this first came out was that athletics probably could have done something to prevent this incident from ever reaching a university. Like they probably couldn't, but it could have done something to sway a university decision that wasn't as severe as what they handed out. And also on the university side, it feels like what a lot like what a lot of people have been saying online, and not just you know online Twitter warriors, but also even in an op-ed from the Advanced Media Post Standard Board, I think either yesterday or today. A lot of people are noticing, like, yeah, Syracuse just in general have been inconsistent with punishment in terms of when students violate the code of conduct. Because let's face it, yes, it seems shitty to be punished for retaliation because if you are not the aggressor in a situation, which based on the facts of the case, it seems like Alan was definitely not the aggressor. It seems like he got hit in the face twice first. But unfortunately, in the rule book, and just in general, because he retaliated, there has to be some sort of repercussion to that punishment, to that action. And what's just been in general is that Syracuse has been Foundly to be in what seems like because of the settlement that was reached is that Syracuse was probably going to be found inconsistent in the way that it gave out its punishment to Allen, which is just another can of worms that is probably really, really hard to open. Yeah. And this whole thing, I mean, we can, we can talk we can talk all we want about the off the field stuff. And we, we touched on it when he was dismissed and now we're touching on it more when he is coming back. But I think both of you guys kind of touched on it. We're a, a lot. There's a lot of touching on things tonight and I apologize. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the, the new uh, streaming streaming world where we don't know what the hell we're doing here again. We're practicing um, for our miming careers. <laughs> 
when the podcasting goes south we we turn to mime um but uh, like the the off-field implications are what they are at this point we're not going to know a whole hell of a lot more of what's going or what what did happen what's going to happen we'll figure it out 20 years down the line in some random you know conversation that one of uh one, one of the big j journalists has with alan you know coming back to campus or something and uh <laughs> other than that there are some major implications on the on-field end of things getting him back yeah a very very beneficial thing for the program yeah i think that one of the most obvious things that we can take away from this is that um as long as the current admin exists at syracuse this is not going away because this has been a consistent under the current administration both from the academic holistic university side and from the athletic side. And I don't think that this is something that they're going to change if they haven't changed it already. There has been numerous times that we, as this group that's been around for two going into our third full season, have talked about in just that time period uh, with this group. And if they haven't changed it now, they're probably not changing it at all. Um, so I don't think it's worth like diving into that, but I do think it's diving worth diving into the fact that LeQuint Allen coming back to the program. And I think more interestingly, LeQuint Allen's threat of not playing this season led to what we saw a bunch of running back moves through the transfer portal that made it look like Syracuse was preparing for a life without him. And now that he's here, not only one, do we have to talk about what this means for Syracuse football with LaQuint Allen now back in the fold 100%. But what does this mean from a roster construction standpoint, as you now have a decent number of guys behind Allen who probably were told, look, there's a decent chance you're going to see the field consistently. And uh, we can get into either one of those things first, but I do think that like the on the field ramifications from this are both positive and interesting based off of what's happened since the suspension was first announced and the announcement that he is returning for the fall season. Yeah. Well, so I kind of want to get in, uh, Steve, you go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say just to recap for anyone who does not know what the running back room looks like at present, we have, uh, LaQuint Allen, aforementioned, and you know the focus of this conversation. Uh, Juwan Price, Ike Daniels, the freshman from Buffalo, uh, Muafak Parkman, uh, another freshman, Destin Hawkins, a transfer, and John Branham Jr. All getting carry, or, uh, all potentially getting carries. Um, so there's a lot of faces there and names that weren't particularly known before this Allen situation arose and are now, you know, uh, a, a good chunk of them known to most of the orange faithful. Um, Kevin did put out a piece and uh, it was actually, I'm, I'm using our fancy new uh, technology. Um, one of our Twitch listeners that PS guy 87 mentioned uh, similar to what Kevin said, using those, um, using those early uh, games to get Allen back 
in to kind of game form because he's not going to be uh, back for the entirety. Of, he's going to miss all of the the summer workouts and whatnot until I believe August. Um, will be you know instrumental in getting him back up to speed, but that does also give some time to show what these other running backs can do. So maybe we have another, uh, dare I say it, because it's you know relatively recent, another Sean Tucker situation where one of these young kids actually makes an impact and makes it so uh, we can keep them on the field or in and around the field, not necessarily a starter like Tucker, but like get somebody we know we're comfortable with. And I think that's a big thing that also um, that just kind of general is is a uh, is a sticking point is that there there wasn't an exact date that was said in the university statement. Um, also, another thing, this has all been university statements. Athletics hasn't released any type of statement. Dino Babers hasn't released any type of statement. It's going to uh, be a very it's... interesting first. Raise your, raise your hand if you're surprised at either of those. Are just you kidding. actually? <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. We've been around this this yes. program enough to not worry. It's, it's going to be a very interesting first summer press conference uh, that Dino holds after the first practice of the uh, of August to to hear that. Um, Absolutely. Good luck to the student journalists and and the other journalists in Syracuse. You know, from from Syracuse.com, from the TV stations, who are going to inevitably only ask Dino about this situation. Well, they're at least up against <laughs> Dino and not uh ripping their yeah. face off. Um, like Dino at least politely put them down. <laughs> yeah. Like unlike when James Arthur Bayheim. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a big thing. And Steve, because you are the former football player among us, you know. I, because preseason preparation is important, just incredibly, incredibly important in general yep. for any sport. How important is that month leading up to the first game of the season? And what does missing even two, three weeks, like it seems like Allen is going to miss, how important is that going to be to his preparation to the season? It's it, It's pretty instrumental in especially with as much shuffle up front as there is uh, getting him up to speed with the people that he's running behind. Um, I I couldn't tell whether you were going for the Steve played football or Steve was an offensive lineman and had to yell at a lot of running backs for doing stupid things. It was actually the Uh, former this time. No los dos. (laughs) Yeah. It was actually the former this time, but like Andy said, okay, no los dos. The, uh, but yeah, there's, there is, um, the, the the guys in front of him are all going to impact what he's doing differently. So even though they're going to have the benefit of having the full time together, uh, him being able to understand that, you know, Bleich when he opens a hole is going to be slightly different than what you're seeing from Kalen Ellis or, uh, you know, Enrique Cruz sealing a corner is going to look different than whoever the hell our right tackle is. Um, we have a right tackle. We have a lot. I just don't know if any of them are good. Uh, we'll find right. that out. <laughs> we'll find problem. <laughs> we we have multiple centers. I still don't know if any of them are good. So uh, either way, um, you know, it, 
it's not not great from his standpoint to have to sit this out. It's not great from a team standpoint. But having those couple of early, uh, don't want to say easy games, but relatively workable uh, games in there to let some other guys get some run and then get him up to speed is going to be pretty instrumental in what, what the Orange are doing on offense. I think one of the more interesting aspects of this uh, situation is that fundamentally Allen is a bit of a different runner than Sean Tucker. And I think that that cannot go understated for an offensive line that we've talked about at nauseum on this channel. But for those who are new here, Steve used to play offensive line. He writes about offensive line a lot. It turns out to be kind of one of the best offensive line breakdowns out there. I think you should all pay attention to Steve when he talks about the offensive line. And unfortunately, um, one of the most needed. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say, unfortunately, um, this season, there is a giant red arrow saying warning about this season. It is around the offensive line. Um, so I guess the question that I kind of have for you, Steve, is knowing that Allen again this is a this is we've seen Allen in a bowl game and at times during the regular season he appears to be a much more explode into a hole kind of a guy as opposed to Tucker who was more of a slash and then explode like he he preferred to make a cut either behind the line or just after the hole and then explode um That's a very schematically, if you are a smart offensive coordinator, which we're all, which by the way, we have a new offensive coordinator this year. Um, but but once we actually have promise for and not, uh, like are immediately worried going into the season for, like we have in past years, fair. Still, though, if you're being if you're an offensive coordinator who's trying to maximize what limited weapons you have, you have to design running plays that play to your running back strengths and so steve and so steve i guess the question for you then is i think we've seen syracuse attempt to do a power downhill running game from the offensive line standpoint that would benefit allen where it's a lot more of everybody pushing one direction open a hole hit that hole really hard and really fast However, there's a lot of new bodies on this line that I'm not sure fit that type of mold. I wouldn't disagree with you. And one thing to also remember is not only do we have a new offensive coordinator, but we do have a new offensive line coach as well. Um, So I have not done my due diligence on Steve Farmer but he is the new offensive line coach. That downhill power running game was a very Mike Schmidt thing. Um, Kind of what he cut his teeth on when he was at San Diego state and brought here. Um, I don't know what farmer did at most recently Tulsa. Also, I believe Nebraska, a couple other places, Um, but he uh, he's going to kind of shape what that's going to look like. That said, the, what he's going to have to do with the new uh, new line as well as the new style in uh, Allen, like you mentioned, is it's going uh, it's going to be a challenge for both of them. But um, I think with Allen, you have an option to utilize space a lot more than you did with Tucker. Um, 
I think you're going to see a lot more off the edge, especially when Cruz, uh, and particularly edge off the left side, when you have uh, Cruz being one of our more um, trustworthy linemen at this point, which is weird to say from a guy who only started three games last year. Um, but outside of Kalen Ellis and the oft injured Chris Bleich, he's kind of the guy. Uh, I think they should be able to scheme around some of Allen's strengths and get him into space, get him, uh, like you said, more of a read guy than a uh, Tucker was more of the Ladanian Tomlinson, like make one cut and just hit the hole hard. Uh, whereas Allen seems a little more shifty. Um, and I think that could play into the advantage of an offensive line, similar to how our mobile quarterback situation plays into where our current offensive line has been these past couple of years. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if we got more out of Sean Tucker off of Sean Tucker's legs than we knew um, even to do what he did, even with his running style. So it's, it's the standard. Every time you start thinking about it, there's just more questions that keep popping up into my head. Of like, where where is this going to go? What's it going to look like? How is this scheme going to function? But that's why they get paid to do what they do, and we talk about it for an hour on Sundays, I guess. And the thing with Tucker as well, because of that natural cut style, he was much more of a vertical runner. He was going to also run more in between the tackles. And what we saw from Allen in that pinstripe bowl Minnesota game yep. was that he was a guy who was going to start running more outside the tackles. And he would actually have a lot more horizontal movement behind the line of scrimmage before he would make his way downfield. And that led to some good success in the running game. So in that case, that will be a interesting way to see how that line moves because there aren't exactly, I would say, mobile things on the line, people on the line. And as we saw towards the end of the season, it got really funny when the best running option was to run away from the protection that was sliding. So, yep. It I, hopefully, I which one of you two <laughs> noted that? It was like, I think, I think it was me. Yeah. I, uh, you're in the like, middle, middle of one game and you're yeah. just like, why don't we just run away from the protection? <laughs> okay. And, well, first, the first question was, why did we run away from the protection? Right. And the second question was, why did that work better than running with the protection? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And so, <sighs> and so, be, and naturally going circling this all back, that might work well with Alan's style because, like I said, he likes to have that horizontal movement behind the line of scrimmage before making his way upfield. So maybe he could bail his way out of a situation better. And then the other side of this also is that, yes, you're changing offensive coordinators, but theoretically, since Jason Beck has worked under Robert Anae for a good amount of years, over half a decade or even longer than that, even longer than that, he knows his style. And what we saw a lot from Inay is that they wanted to put Tucker out as a receiver. And we saw that in the pinstripe bowl as well, was that Allen was a really, really good receiver. His route running was a lot better than what we saw from Tucker. Um, and so 
cycling that into the offense is something that's going to take time. And then the third option that is the other hidden elephant in the room is what happens when you need Allen to block. Um, it can't be worse than what Tucker did. And you say that now. I mean, I can hope, right? One, one can hope. <laughs> we do this, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Alan Andy is... doesn't have a great look on his face right now for those listening on the podcast. He's <laughs> contemplating very hard on what LeQuint Allen would look like blocking against a Clemson defensive line five weeks into the season. I mean, we're going to have to have a entirely different podcast where we break down what the hell Beck is going to do at offensive coordinator because – I think that there's a part of me that's going, I saw the Robert and a offense last in the second half of the season and I'm scared. And then there's now, the other part of that. Yeah. To be fair, that was partially because Garrett Schrader got injured. Wasn't the same. And what, and, and what makes you think that any of that will be different this year? You make a great point. <laughs> like, because my second this, my second follow up to that was that the offensive line was also injured, but again, see previous comment. Yeah. <laughs> now like, that like, said, at quarterback, at least there are both Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who's more experienced now, and the transfer that I cannot remember the name of and is not listed on our roster. Uh, Braden Davis. That sounds absolutely right. Um, from yes, one, of those, Davis. one of those flyover Big Ten schools. It was no, from South Carolina. Oh, oh yeah, we traded him. Re- for because that. remember, it's the meme that uh, what we've said in a previous podcast four months ago, God, was Syracuse's quarterback recruiting strategy is just take the outcast four-star quarterbacks from SEC schools. Right. Yeah, and we traded Because that's for... the one, two, three in the current Syracuse quarterback room. Yep. Absolutely. So... Trade trade a four star for a four star uh, in the recruit that geez I you know we're not you know we're really you know we're really out of practice so. when I can't remember any names of anything um, yeah well because it's been a quiet summer with definitely not any news that have significant impact on Syracuse athletics right you know minor details so minor details I'm yeah, just no, I'm I... hunting situation so. I mean, I mean, this is the this is the crazy thing about this season that we're going to dive into in the coming weeks is that this is a football season where I think the expectations are that we are building off of what happened last year, where actually where we're building off of bless you, Steve, uh, where we're building off of what has happened in the last two seasons. I guess where there was the disappointing 2020 and oh my God, I think Steve just threw out his back. Yes. That is I the most so. Steve is old moment in podcast history. Oh my God. It finally happened. Just be happy. I hit the mute button. All right. <laughs> As Steve quickly tries to find his C2 vertebrae and push it back into place. Yeah. Yeah. Steve is old. We're here. Oh, uh. That was see that. Sorry, this is this season's gonna be so good, guys. This team is this team has the expectations of an eight-win team, the roster of a six-win team, and the stability of a two-win team. And somehow, some way, Syracuse is going to look like all 
three of those teams this season and somehow finish with either five or seven wins. <laughs> right, well, because, because the schedule is also perfectly set up to do that as well. Yep. Because the first part of the schedule may be sans the Purdue game because no one knows how good Purdue is going to be this year. It looks, you know, pretty easy. Purdue is then, us like 10. Yeah. They literally like nobody knows what the hell is happening there. No one know no one in the Big Ten knows how good Purdue is going to be, which is incredible. Yeah. Um. Then you have Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, which will result in injury, 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 mm-hmm. injury. Yep. And then you have that last half of the schedule, where it's again Syracuse is in the tumble dryer of the middle of the ACC where no one knows who is actually where after Clemson, FSU, UNC. Right. No one is good and everyone is good at the same time. Yep. We have Schrodinger's conference. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, there's going to eternally be a lot of this as we lead up into it. And again, as Christian kind of mentioned, the lack of visibility for the press corps means that this is only going to be intensified um, from our perspective, but it should be interesting. It should be weird. Uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, but apparently I'm coming up for a game in September now. So I think I'll see you all at the Western Michigan game. (laughs) Cool. I'll be there. Yeah, I don't know whether uh, I'm looking at it or not, but I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be some. Uh, I don't know. I feel like which, I got to see which the train section in there is the Tim Lester section, even though he's not with Western Michigan anymore. I mean, I can tell you, I know one Western Michigan fan very well who owns a framed Tim Lester XFL card. You know, that's funny because that's actually more fans than UConn football has. Hey! hey. <laughs> um, it's funny we were talking about the gra- uh, grading before the uh, stream started. I wonder yes. how much that goes for <laughs> on the PSA grade. It, it yeah, 100% it back to you more grade than it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they send it back to you and go, why? <laughs> yeah, the, the shipping is worth more than the car. Yeah, they, they ship back the case without it sealed or anything. They're just like, you put it in. We're not going to do it. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. They're bumping a booster uh, park in a hollow Charizard. Come on, don't waste our time with this. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine being that dude who has to go from like a legitimate like 9-2 to a 9-5 like hollow Charizard, like touching it with like the fancy white gloves to like yeah. make sure they don't, they don't fuck up the card and then they get a Tim Lester XFL card. Like. 100%. Uh, anyways, what else do we have to talk about, guys? I don't know. You want to talk about the graded things up there or, or is that a different podcast? <laughs> it is, unfortunately. I mean, I think it's actually a different podcast that you host, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Weird. Uh <laughs> So yeah, what else? What what else have we had in the world of Syracuse? This is where we I scroll mean, through our site and figure out what the hell happened. I mean, I think the the reality of the situation is that there's not a ton that's been going on in terms of huge news. 
Um, and then I'm anticipating Kevin slacking us going, uh, hey, don't forget about insert Olympic sport that I totally forgot about. Um, I do well, think I do Miles Robinson at the Gold Cup if you want. I was going to say we can talk soccer or we can talk the uh, NIL shit show that is becoming um, New York State and Syracuse University. <laughs> your call. You choose your own adventure, Pregler. <laughs> choose my own adventure. Let's let's uh, we're going to save the Miles Robinson talk for when we talk about another Hall of Famer that is uh, that is a part of the Orange family now. Uh, see, see, now I got you guys intrigued. Um, so the NIL is, is, stuff, it, is it because you're going to the Hall of Fame? <laughs> hey, sh- uh, <laughs> so NIL in New York and in college athletics is getting a bit of an overhaul. Uh, essentially, there's a big fight happening between the colleges and the schools that want more protection at, from a, at a legal level from their role in facilitating what's essentially third-party deals. Um, They're saying, insert company wants to sponsor a certain athlete, and if that company doesn't pay, we as the university shouldn't be liable. We should not assume any responsibility for this. You know, they play at SU, but it's not up to SU to make sure this athlete gets paid uh, from the NIL deal. Uh, See what happened with Florida recruiting to understand why this is top of mind. Uh, New uh, New York just passed a law that was basically uh backed by syracuse according to the reporting uh the i think the exact wording is that syracuse lobbied incredibly aggressively uh for this (laughs) which was a new york law that basically protects syracuse and other new york institutions um from punishment via nil anything and the ncaa has come out and said "Mm, that doesn't really work because you volunteer to be part of the NCAA. So therefore you have to follow our rules, even if they don't follow state rules. Now, what, what all that means long-term, I don't think any of us are here to talk about. What I do think makes it really interesting is that we are all really aware of the growing divide between the big 10 SEC and everybody else, just from a TV revenue perspective, the money is in terms of tens of millions, the gap between those schools and schools in the ACC, Big 12 and and PAC, whatever they are at this point. Where you are able to, as say a Syracuse, to compete with a Purdue is NIL. Um, NIL is money that goes directly to athletes. It doesn't have to be funneled in through some, you know, advancement project or from some facilities project. But it does allow a competitive advantage for certain markets. And I think for us, again, Christian and I are not in the central New York area. Uh, Steve is. Steve, I think the read on the situation is that the NIL opportunities in Syracuse on paper appear to be pretty vast. But when it comes to actual opportunity or when it comes to actual execution on a lot of stuff, it doesn't seem like very many athletes have been marketed in the Syracuse area via NIL through insert, you know, your favorite car dealership or your favorite grocery store chain. No, I what, think a, a 690 billboard isn't going to do it. <laughs> there's there's a good number <laughs> of 690 billboards, actually, primarily. I know, that's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's. 
I guess it's one of those where I I don't know what is happening everywhere else, but you you see them like you see the athletes popping up on places here and there. I don't know if other like college markets it's everywhere under the sun, but uh, I also am one of those people that doesn't have like network television and sees commercials or any of that sort of thing. So I don't know, like I know Schrader's gotten some deals with various things or whatever, but uh, I'm probably one of the worst people you could possibly ask about advertising around here. Cause I do everything I can to avoid advertising. And to be fair well, with, and in the situation with Andy and I, Andy and I are both in the New York City media market, which has, while it's, it's definitely not Syracuse because literally you turn a corner and there is a new opportunity to shine on for a marketing opportunity just in general around the New York City media market, where it's just so dense about the opportunity, the, the engagement and activation that you could do just in the area alone. Where in Syracuse, the further you get away from the epicenter of the city, the less and less that the activation opportunities present themselves. Mm-hmm. And so from our vantage point, it becomes a little weird to talk about what type of activation you can do with NIL because in NYC, there is literally a lot of things you could do. Kevin, Ke- Kevin, can you, can you come in here? <laughs> this is actually, this is actually like a Kevin call. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I do think that one of the 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 reason I bring this up is because um, I think that the, the what we've seen so far is that if you go to an on three or or one of these other sites that tracks nil deals, their quote unquote valuations of players' worth are not lining up to the deals that athletes are getting. Um, you've seen athletes like Angel Reese and Livy Dunn at LSU. Uh, a school that has done very well in the transfer portal, uh, which we could, that's an entire, that's an entirely other thing to dive into. Just know that LSU has utilized the transfer portal incredibly well across all of their sports. Um, See baseball. Yeah. Thank you. Cannot wait for Paul Skeens. Um, oh my the, God. I forgot about that. Yep. Uh, transfer from Air Force. But so Mm -hmm. they, but it's a situation where you look at, you know, it's, they're saying on three is saying that Livy Dunn is worth 3.5, 3.5 million. Angel Reese is worth 1.6 million per year in advertising. Those two might pull that amount of money. Um, However, both of these uh, student athletes have come out and said that, look, it's actually pretty difficult to go from like, I have this value to turning that value into actual cash in hand. And I think at a place like Syracuse, it should be pretty easy to do because Syracuse is not necessarily this complicated collegiate media market. Like we know that the football players, the basketball players and lacrosse players could pull really well. A lot of the soccer players and other Olympic athletes are from the area which weirdly, if you extended the central New York area out, has a lot of really niche athletic opportunities for those said athletic sports. Um, Now, is it a situation where every soccer player is going to be making $10,000? No, absolutely not. But it's a situation where on three, 
right now only lists Aronde Gatson and Judah Mintz as part of their NIL evaluation. And when we're looking at this, we know for a fact that Enrique Cruz, an offensive lineman, is getting an NIL deal from a group of local tailgaters. We know that lacrosse players are getting certain kickbacks as part of deals with lacrosse lines. Um, and it just se- it just feels like this is a really big black box that Syracuse should not be following on if they are going to continue to invest as much money as they are in facilities and trying to keep if they're if you're going to play the arms race game you're not going to win so if you're going to spend this money on facilities the most like i i may be a money balling this too much but like in my brain you, you spend the money on the two of us you're never money balling it too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember if, this, if this we, we are a baseball supporting podcast so it it just seems like the most efficient way of doing this is having uh more transparency with the athlete opportunities that are available and it just really feels like the fact that syracuse is going through all this trouble to protect itself from nil enforcement while not doing a whole lot with nil leads me to believe that something might have happened with a specific NIL donor that they are trying to cover their ass on. Let's uh, rewind to 40 minutes prior to this and realize that Syracuse and transparency don't necessarily go together. Yeah, we've already had this conversation, Andy. (laughs) (sighs) Especially when it comes to the legal sense of things. Wow, we just—I just took us full circle without even knowing it, huh? Hey, Andy, didn't we took a lap? <laughs> <laughs> so here it's we the, It's the soul kiss. I, I blame the soul kiss. A local three one five favorite for any for any anyone who's still clamoring to bring the beer uh, the beer segment back to the podcast. Andy is drinking a local three one five brewery uh, soul kiss, one of their double IPAs. That's uh, actually a pretty solid offering. It is, and I found out that it is not that far away from Steve's house. So when I texted him a photo of the beer, he goes, WTF, why didn't you tell me? I live right by there. <laughs> it's like a mile from my house. Uh, see, it's really, okay, anyway, that's an offline conversation to figure out that I was basically staying 15 minutes from your house and had no idea. Um, I mean, <laughs> everything's 15 minutes away. Oh. That is my worst habit that I took to New York. I am 15 minutes away from everything. In New York, you are never 15 minutes away from anything. No, no, no. You're, you're 15 minutes from a subway ride that can get you to 15 minutes. <laughs> That's assuming uh, that the train gets there on time. That is making a lot of assumptions. Um, you know what is not an assumption anymore? Miles Robinson starting US MNT center back. Uh, the Atlanta United defender uh, participated well, now, in the... Well, now go up against Messi. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, which also, that is a game that I, I don't know, that's just the, my birthday weekend. Atlanta is like an easy work trip. Uh, might as might see Messi and Miles, you know? Um, I, I haven't looked at what the tickets prices are going to be like um, when Inter Miami come to play... Uh, Red Bull New York at the end of August, but I assume they're going to be out of my price bracket. Well, you guys are missing one connection here. Do you know who the center back for 
Inter Miami is? Kamal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kamal so Miller. Does, does Miles get to play against him? Kamal Miller is now going to officially be playing with <laughs> Lionel Messi. With Lionel Messi and Sergio Busquets. Yes. Reminder, that means Kamal Miller has to go up against Messi every day in training. In training. <laughs> Please pour some out for poor Kamal, <laughs> who is about like to have the the best, the hardest time of his entire career. This is in before, like, you know, how teams post like behind the scenes training footage. The first the first video we see is Messi doing uh, a Jerome Boa tank to Kamal Miller. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, Christian, in case you're wondering, all of the tickets that are available um, start at 290 resale. Um, there are no tickets available directly from Red Bull. They've all been bought up and they are all on resale. Oh, so two seasons of Syracuse football. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> more than that actually my seasons are my two tickets are uh 130 a piece so yeah yep good good seems fine i uh yeah is this, is this a to... roundabout way for miles to get his like year move that he was supposed to get before his uh, injury i'm hearing some more rumblings so um um, yes, yeah. talked about this. The first couple of uh, the first couple of games in the Gold Cup, uh, you could tell he was still like, even though he's been playing for his club, you could tell he was still kind of getting his feet under him a little. And then you know, started. I mean, it's, a, it's an Achilles injury. That's not an easy injury to like get up to full speed on. Just in general. Hi, pot. Here's kettle. Uh, <laughs> remember, I had that same injury two years ago. Uh, and I'm a 40-year-old man and know how bad that is. Uh, at least he's, you know, recovering well off it. Um, but, yeah, I, it's it's good to see him back in the colors, um, especially, you know, uh, coinciding with the week of uh, Orange Kids Camp around here, which was mildly, mildly hilarious as uh, I now have all these friends that are of the age where their kids are going to the the, like, Orange ID camps and that. Um, so watching them all realize how great of a person Mac is, is just hilarious. It's like, yeah, <laughs> oh, I've been saying like, listen to the podcast. All of us have been preaching this for years. So glad, glad to see everybody's getting their, getting their due. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Steve, I, I just, I know transfer markets, not the best use for this, but it's probably the only one that's yeah. really out there. Um, you know, it says that Miles is worth roughly five million, you know, pounds, so seven and a half million USD, roughly. Um, I, I think that he is. It says his contract expires at the end of the season, so I would assume that Atlanta is in a position where they would like to sign him to an extension and then sell him, as opposed to letting him walk on a free. Um, especially with the new rules that have been put in place in MLS where teams get a much larger share of, of transfer sales. Yep. Uh, I, I guess the question with Miles is, do you envision him doing something like what we've seen with other Syracuse players where they sign with a big club, then go on loan? Or is he at the age where you're buying Miles for what he is at this point and not trying to really do much 
do much more with his development. I think that's probably about where we are. Um, it seems, you know, it, you know what you're getting at this point with Miles, even even coming back off the injury. Um, so what they're buying is what they're buying. He's 24 now? 26. Is he 26? Okay, then you're definitely, yeah. yeah. You're at the point where you're getting what you're getting. Um, I mean, he's he's still got time to develop. Center backs do tend to play longer than most other you know, position players see Reem comment Tim. Um and there's there's always a chance for, you know, another step uh in his development. That said, like a lot of what he does is based off of intuition but also athleticism. So recovering off I, I think recovering off this injury will be a huge step in his value and a huge step in where he could possibly go. Um, if he finishes out this season solid, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a January move uh, to probably, you know, either, geez, I don't even know where, I don't even know where an analog for him to go would be. Um, if he's going to start right away, and I'm assuming, and not going to get loaned out, which is what we're assuming, it's probably going to be like a lower tier Serie A or Bundesliga team probably. I was going to say like mid table, mid table, second tier of like competition, not, not Premier League, not one of the big kind of the big clubs at any of the big five leagues somewhere down in the, in the mix would be, I think you're spot on there, Christian. Yeah. I can't see a championship side wanting to shell out the money that Atlanta will probably want for him. Um, just because defenders yeah. in the MLS are so hard yeah. to find. And that's the, and that's going to be the tough thing is that Atlanta is going to want a lot of money for him. And so a second division team, just in any of the year of the big five European leagues, yeah. it's probably not going to want to shell out the money. So he probably even goes to maybe does what Bajon did and goes to a Belgian team, like, like, you know, maybe a, a high Belgian team, like an Anderlecht or something. Yeah, or or like or or the Dutch, the Dutch, yeah, like PSC or Ajax in the Dutch league. Yeah, I was actually thinking the the former that you mentioned. They're in the Champions League this year. Um, probably won't. Their goal is obviously not to. Uh, you'd love to see them go far in the Champions League. They probably won't. But their goal is going to obviously be to usurp Ajax and and maintain that Champions League position for multiple seasons and not have it be a one off. Miles would be a nice depth piece because the other the other. The final component to all this is that, you know, Walker Zimmerman has kind of broken the MLS defensive market in him getting a designated player contract. Um, I think that we can all look at Miles and go, Miles is standing on the USMNT that was over Zimmerman would mean that if Miles is staying in Atlanta, he's going to want to want, he's going to be asking for Walker Zimmerman-esque money. And I do not think that Atlanta with, Garth Lagerway at the helm is going to see value in giving a DP contract to a center back. Um, that's just not no disrespect to Nashville or to Walker Zimmerman, but like that's just not the recipe for success in MLS as long as DP contracts are continually capped. Well, and you and I also have uh, known enough Lagerway over the years to understand like that. Not, he he knows he knows how to work the system and what he's doing. 
I would love to see Miles get a DP contract if that's what he wants and stay in the league and just do that. But also, like, it's uh, if Chad Marshall back in the day is not getting one for Seattle, then Lagerway is not going to get one out. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think I think that this is like probably the last time we see Miles play in the United States, unless someone is a little bit irresponsible with their money, which is not like, again, not a bad thing, but also uh, miles. Is it going to be trying to be the, the 30 year old rock at the back of, or I guess 29, 20, yeah. 29 year old rock at the back of the USMNT's 2026 world cup squad. Um, and playing abroad consistently is probably a good step in his development uh, for that. Because yeah, he's look he's looking to be John Brooks. Yeah. But like, actually, actually, yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, not out of favor with the entire team. That too, you know. Um yeah. but yeah, I if if he can grab a Bundesliga or like low Premier League championship move on a free this winter, because that's the other thing, is if he's he's out of contract this year. So if Atlanta doesn't re-sign him and he can move somewhere on a free, probably a higher profile team will take a flyer on him. It's, this is also weird because technically, because and since the MLS contracts are super weird with the, you know, not in, in the asynchronous seasons with the European yeah. leagues, because he's out of contract this year, that means his contract is probably at over in December, January. Yeah, they run the way they run is, I believe, the day after uh, MLS Cup final. Which means technically, right now, he could be talking to teams to sign them on a on a free on a free contract. Right. Because, Which is why I'm going to assume Steve is hearing some things. Yeah, because <laughs> for those who don't know, if you're entering your last your last year in in soccer of a contract, you can six months prior to the end of your contract ending, start talking to teams and pre-agree a contract with them to join them once your contract ends. Yep. So it's uh, anything prior to that. It's similar to the old NCAA. Uh, it's it's tapping up where you can't, you can't talk to any of them six months into or uh, six months until the free, you're allowed to, you know, uh, market your wares, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe he's out, you know, shopping around, uh, shopping around Europe. I would love that. Um, on that note, um, MLS right now is having the messy introduction press conference where the owner just said that the rain falling from the sky is holy water. Uh, little baby or little baby uh, just uh, did a live performance to introduce Messi and of Sergio. Of course, it's Bers- raining during this. Like this is like perfect. Like and Sergio Busquets will be wearing a number five jersey that just says Sergio. Um, so you know Miami's gonna Miami's gonna be fun, guys. I thought they were a little bit crazy. Margo. <laughs> oh God. Oh, yes. I love straight up, straight up Syracuse soccer humor here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the only way to do it. Um, Last thing uh, mentioned that I wanted to talk about in a Hall of Famer, uh, Otto the Orange going into the Mascot Hall of Fame 
there is a non-zero chance I will be going to that and I will happily live blog that for the site and the podcast for all yes. the ridiculous that that will that will include. Now the question um, is will you get back out. in the costume? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. And until they provide a brand new costume, I don't think Andy's getting anywhere near that thing. I there's I, I think that there's a legitimate question. Um, I think that there's a legitimate uh, chance that I don't fit in that. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, just just want to throw that out there. He's been hitting the weights, folks. Totally hitting the weights. Been hitting some kind of weights. <laughs> 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 With that, uh, that is this week's edition of troy oh geez i wow yeah disloyal idiots that's the podcast that we are uh that is this week's edition of disloyal idiots a fans first nation podcast uh we are excited to be back this season and to be at full steam uh we'll be doing some football previews for the rest of well july and august um, leading up into the regular season. I'm sure that there's going to be some basketball stuff that happens. TPT is going to be happening. Um, so we'll be back on this grind a little bit more consistently. Uh, I think that there's a part of us that wants to do 30-minute episodes. The odds of us not talking for 60 minutes is is slim to none. Uh, but we're going to be playing around with some things. We're going to be having some fun here. Um, and we appreciate the support. So make sure you follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, on new Twitter, on whatever new Twitter has popped up since we've been recording this episode that I don't yet know about. Um, I think that's probably the safest way to make sure that we cover all of our bases. For those of you listening and watching on Twitch, we really appreciate the live support. We do this every Sunday night around 8 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, as always, go Orange. Go Orange. Orange.